welcome to Walking with the Savior podcast. I'm your host, John Kirkman, and I'm here today with Stevie Rowe, who has an incredible journey and an incredible walk with Jesus. And I've just met her recently, and I'm so excited for her to come on today and share her story. Stevie, introduce yourself and tell us some things you enjoy doing. All right. Well, as you said, my name is Stevie. I am married to my college sweetheart, Will. We have four kids, ages. We're all about to be in our, we're all about to be even years. So 10, 8, 6, and 4. I am a full-time neonatologist, so I take care of premature babies. But the things I love to do the most besides take care of babies are spend time with my family. We love being outside. We love hiking. Moving to Utah about seven years ago has just, it's like a playground. So we love that. But I also, I like to travel um, and I love to talk about Jesus. So I'm getting to do what I love today. So thank you for having me and inviting me. I was introduced to Stevie from Christy Nelson. She was on episode two and she said, hey, you got to talk to my friend Stevie. Stevie and and Christy have these great walks where they'll talk about Jesus. And so as I talked to Stevie last week, I found out a little bit about her story. Stevie grew up as a Christian from the East Coast and devout believer in Jesus Christ. But in her 20s in college, things got a little crazy. So Stevie, tell us a little bit about your journey. Yeah. Um, so I was born and raised in Oklahoma and then When I graduated medical school, we lived in North Carolina for several years. And I'd say my walk with Jesus, I was born into a believing family. So I have really early memories of church and vacation Bible school in the summers, church camp and youth group. I have lots of memories of that. And I think I was baptized when I was five. I still, my mom made me this really cute, like, yarn banner thing that, like, hung on my door that had, like, the date that I was actually baptized. And I have, like, my baptism dress and anyhow, so it was really special. But I think if I could define my period of time being young and in high school and even into college, I wanted to be a good Christian, and I wanted to follow Jesus. I really, I had that desire, and I, as I think so many of us do. But I was also very acutely aware of the areas in my life that I was struggling, whether it be with judgment towards others or just anything in full transparency boyfriends, social things. You just start to think. I remember growing up, there was the, and they're out now, but the WWJD bracelets, the what would Jesus do, you know? And I don't know. I felt like I was just so very acutely aware of my sin, small, big, all of it. And and so I think if I could define my young Christian life, it was like I was always striving. I just And I remember coming across things like, not about perfection, it's about progress. (laughs) And that was really comforting to me, right? Because I thought, okay, yeah, I'm not a perfect Christian. I want to be, but, you know, God loves us enough not to leave us in our sin. We do, we grow in Christ's likeness over our journey, but it's not about all the things that you can do for him. It's 
the Christian life is all about what he did for you. And then I think that's the fuel to move forward and to grow in Christ-likeness. So you didn't feel perfect. How did you handle that? I was really faced with, if I can't be like a perfect Christian, then where do I fall? And so during that time, I, I was following him and going to church, but I don't think I had a I don't think I had a very deep relationship. I don't know. I don't know if you've had a period in your life where you know of him and what he did for you, but I don't feel like you're walking with him. After I met my husband in college and we we went to church together and we're both Christians. And so I think we were a little bit of consumer Christianity. It's more like people like you go to church to be filled up. You go to church and it's like you're filled up by the word and you're encouraged that you're loved and you're forgiven and all of that. And then you leave church and you live your life Monday to Saturday. Mm -hmm. And then you go back on Sunday wanting to be filled up. And it's almost more about like what you get from church. Mm -hmm. So you found yourself in the consumer Christianity phase. How did things change for you? And then we got married. And then after... I graduated medical school and my husband graduated his master's program. We moved away for the first time. And during this time, my family situation started to dissolve. My mom had gotten very sick with mental illness and had been diagnosed with bipolar. She had multiple suicide attempts. Mm. And that was a huge struggle because. Growing up, my mom was super mom. I mean, she's teacher of the year. Everybody loved her. She was such a light. She loved Jesus and spoke about him like a dear friend. But my mom had a very difficult childhood. She was raised, my grandparents were drug addicts and alcoholics. And there was a lot of abuse um, physically, mentally, emotionally for her growing up. And I think when she had her own family and had me, she really changed that path. But I think a lot of those, a lot of the sins of the people that came before her, I think she bore the consequences of all of that pain and everything. And so my mom got very sick. And then my dad, my my parents had been divorced since I was very little, but my dad was also, he had been a drug addict. So he was using meth during when I was in high school. My mom got remarried when I was five to my stepdad, who I call dad, but I very much had my biological dad and my dad in my life, which was great. But at the time that my husband and I, we moved for my medical training. We were two years into our marriage. My mom was very sick, right? And actually, I guess I should back up a little bit. I so telling you about my dad, two weeks before my husband and I got married, my dad had gotten into a domestic dispute with his girlfriend. And um, the stories differ on who was there, but there, whether it was an accident or not, he ended up shooting her and then shooting himself. And, and a couple years before that, when I was in medical school, my mom's brother, my uncle, had died of an overdose. And so it was like that tragedy happened. Then right bef 
during my engagement to my husband, my mom and my stepdad decided to separate. They decided to get divorced after 20, 20 years of marriage. And then my biological dad, right, passes away. And I'm in like the heat of medical school. I'm in my second year of medical school. And it was just like, it was so overwhelming that I feel like during that time of my life, I was just so focused on school. I was just like, I want to be a doctor. This is what I want to do. And I was just chugging along. And then we moved to North Carolina three years after we moved. My mom actually took her own life um, and committed suicide. And I... At that time, just bringing it up as even as I say it, sometimes I'm like, "Wow, that was a lot." <laughs> oh my god, um, this was a lot. It was a lot, and I, yeah. So things, yeah, things in my life, it was crazy because I feel like I grew up in this very loving home, full of joy, full of who Jesus was. I have a younger brother, just a very typical kind of middle class upbringing. Mm-hmm. My mom was a teacher. My stepdad, he was a paramedic, and I saw my dad every other weekend or for holiday, my biological dad, and just all seemed very normal. And then all of a sudden, it's like you become adult, (laughs) and you see your parents are not just parents, they're people with real problems and real things that have happened to them. And when my mom died, I was just, I'm not sure if I was angry at God but I was confused. I felt as if my mom, again, like I said, she spoke about Jesus so beautifully. Like he was a dear friend. And anytime I would have trouble, she's always bringing things back to Jesus. Always, always. When I first entered medical school, I thought, who let me in? I'm not smart enough to be here. (laughs) I very much had imposter syndrome. I thought, I'm not going to be able to do this. And my mom was like, Stevie, Jesus has put you here in this very time. He is with you. He's gone before you. And then when my husband and I were first married, right, and we're going through, we're not just little lovebirds. We have like bills and tickets and (laughs) all the things that being newlyweds, you're learning how to live together, you know, and do life together. And that was difficult. And he and I, as much as we loved each other, we hurt each other too. We've made mistakes with each other and we've had moral failures i i and it seemed like at the time that my mom died we were in a very difficult place and we didn't have family support we were out in north carolina and what i came to realize is that i had built my faith on the shoulders of my parents And with information from church camp or sermons or Sunday, whatever, I, my faith, I don't think I built it myself really for me. And so when the brokenness of life hit me so deeply, and again, just to reiterate, moral failures on my part, going through difficult things in my marriage, feeling like an orphan, Mm. feeling like. If my mom and dad were capable of taking their own lives, am I next? Is is that what's going to happen to me? And I just remember thinking, I'm not even really, 
I don't even know what God says about these things. Like, where do I go? What do I do? And it was at that point that I really had built my faith that people will say on a straw man God, basically meaning that with one blow of the wind, your construct of who God is and what your life is about is just totally blown away. I didn't have this firm foundation. And praise God that he recklessly pursues us and that I had a believing husband who was praying for me. But during that time, right after my mom died, I remember my husband would, he'd want to pray or he'd want to want me to listen to a sermon or, and I was just, I didn't want to hear it. I was just like, I don't, I thought, I know who God is and I'm not ready to talk to him about all this and I'm not even ready to pray. <laughs> and it was really horrible. Thankfully, there was enough of, there was enough structure in our lives in terms of we were going to church. We had a Bible study group that we were a part of. And so I had some of those building blocks, but I was trying to add them all up and to try to build something to stand on and find joy in again and figure out who I was and who God was and what he says about me and what that all means. So you find yourself in this really dark spot. I I can't even fathom what it was like to go through all the things that you had to go through. I just, I feel so much hurt and pain for you. Um, when did God start to get back into your life, so to speak. I ended up finding out that I was pregnant about a year after my mom died. We had been married for almost about four and a half years. We ended up going to church in North Carolina, and it was over Easter. And the our pastor was talking about the parable of the prodigal son. But it was all of a sudden as if I had these new eyes, right? And he's talking, he's telling the story of the prodigal son. When we think the prodigal son, we think the runaway child, the child that's running away from God. But if you actually look at the Hebrew meaning for prodigal, it doesn't mean runaway. It means reckless. Jesus is telling the, the scribes and the Pharisees, and there's two sons, and the younger son says, I want my inheritance. And which, if you think about it in the Jewish culture, if you go all the way back to Deuteronomy, and the law says that if a Jewish son, if he was to ask for his inheritance, it's basically like saying, I don't want you as my father. I just want the things you're going to give me. I'd rather have you dead, basically. It is, and the law in Deuteronomy says that if they would have been justified in stoning him, or, but the law said that he could basically be sent away from his family and no one in the Jewish community could know any. They would just act as if he didn't exist. But what does the father do? The father gives him what he asked for. The father gives him his inheritance and he goes and he squanders everything. He loses it all. And then he finds himself feeding the pigs, right? And he starts to think, well, the servants at my father's house eat better than the eat better than what I'm doing. They're treated better. So he comes up with this. I actually I brought I have it just to hear what he says. But he comes up with this elaborate. He's going to say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and went to his father. 
But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And as our pastor was telling this story, I was faced with, I'm about to have a child of my own. I've lost my two parents. And I remember feeling like I couldn't quite communicate to my husband how bad that felt, how bad it felt to lose your parents and how lost it made you feel. And I remember as he was saying just that line that like the father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him. I remember thinking like, that's what I'm missing. My mom loved me so much, always had my back, was always there. Even in her sickness, when she was healthy, she was like super mom. I remember just thinking, Lord, I'm never going to be loved like that again. Like I've lost that in this life. And then our pastor says, the father basically in this story is God. And we are like the prodigal son. We want the gifts, but we don't want the giver to decide what's right and wrong for our life. We don't want oversight, but we have a father in heaven who is recklessly pursuing us, who lavishes us with grace and compassion. Our pastor back in North Carolina, he was talking about the Greek word compassion used here is blagna. That's the word for compassion. It's almost like a visceral reaction, right? That you just, it just pours out of you. And that's what God has for us. His love and his compassion, it's just, it just oozes out of him. And think of like your relationship with your children. It's just like, you're just so enamored with them. It just, it's so natural to overflow. And if you think about the story of the woman who bled, who reached out just to touch Jesus's robe. Normally when a dirty thing touches a clean thing, the dirty thing makes the clean thing unclean. Sure. But in that circumstance, we see the opposite. We see the power of Jesus transfer over to her and make her clean. Mm -hmm. And when he turns to her, he says, daughter, it's like, and I think of it like here, right? That it's, there's no shame. It was just the father brings this son in. He tells the servant, go get my best robe, go get my ring, go get my sandals. And if you think about the Jewish culture at the time, who would have had the best robe? The father. So he basically said, go get my robe and put it on him. And the ring designated authority of saying, you're mine, you're in this family, right? And the sandals, only the only members of the household wore sandals. The servants went barefoot. And before the son can even get out his speech of treat me like a servant, I've sinned against you in heaven, the father has lavished him with identity. And he says, this is a cause for celebration. You were once dead, but now you're alive. You were lost, but now you're found. And it was as if I was so overwhelmed by this idea that God could love me like that. 
that my mom was a placeholder for God. And she spent her entire motherhood pointing me to him. And so in her absence, it was like God picked up the pieces and said, you may not have her, but, you know, she was never meant to hold my place. She was an imperfect placeholder, but you have me and I love you. I fully know you. I fully love you. And I was so overwhelmed. It was like in that moment, it was like I finally recognized I needed a savior. Mm. And it was so powerful at the time. And, but I think in that moment, I very much felt as if I was being born again in terms of my belief of knowing that I needed him. I got baptized that day. It was very humbling. We're in a middle school and I'm around all these like young kids. And here I am almost 30 years old, pregnant. (laughs) I'm going down and saying, I need a savior and I believe what he's done for me and and I want a new life in him and I I want to walk with him intimately and I want to know him and it was just a very humbling experience and it's just changed my whole life. I remember thinking this is not the only time tragedy and brokenness is going to touch me this side of heaven. I want to make sure from this point forward that I have a firm foundation. I want to know who he says he is. He is sovereign. He is in control. He is always good. Everything is for his glory. Everything's for my good. He's the alpha. He's the omega. He's unlike no other. I mean, it's just, it's, I just remember thinking, I just want to know him so intimately that when hardship hits me, that I don't wobble in my belief of him or his goodness. Mm. I've been on that race (laughs) or journey ever since, and that was 10 years ago. I'm working on looking to the Savior in the storms. You know what I mean? Like when we're in that boat and life is stormy and the ocean waves Mm -hmm. get huge, I want to be better at looking to the Savior. And you have been through some storms. What could you teach me about looking to the Savior in the storms? Oh, gosh. we, My husband and I, we lead a Bible study every Wednesday night. And when you even just read the book of Genesis, you start there and God's faithfulness to his people, God's faithfulness to make a way for Adam and Eve and their transgressions and their sins in the third chapter that there's going to be a skull crusher or a snake crusher, sorry. There's going to be a snake crusher. Uh, like you know, I like skull crusher too. Yeah, but you know, you already, Genesis 3 comes on the scene and you're like, golly, things were so perfect. Like, and then they're not. And then it's like, but God is going to make a way, right? His heel, will, it says his heel will be bruised, but he will ultimately crush him. And that's the first reference we have to a savior. Mm-hmm right? That we, he's going to come on our behalf. And this side of the cross, we know that to be true, right? The sacrifice, right? And then you look at the story of, of Joseph and you think without him being sold into slavery, without his brothers doing what they did, right? There would have never have been God delivering his people through the Red Sea. And so when you look at the first five books of the Bible, And what Moses wrote, it was a story of this is where you come from. 
and this is where you're going, and this is who your God is. And don't we all need that? And so I think the best way to understand that God is going to deliver you through that storm is to just look backwards and see all the things he's done, all the things he's delivered you from. And we have this, we have this book he wrote. He wrote, it's full of love stories and to us about how he's been faithful to his people and to his word, right? And so I think when he says, I have a plan for you, I to deliver you into eternal life. And I mean, you just think of all of these promises of God, and I think we can't leave them here and say, oh, that was for an older generation and an older time, and it doesn't apply to us. And so I think when I go through storms and I just remember thinking, okay, God, you are sovereign. Everything is for my good and your glory. And I just would say those things to myself over and over. And I'd go to scripture to back myself up and say, this is who you said you are. And this is what you said you have for me and for my life. And so I'm going to rest on that. No. That's beautiful, Faith. And I think you just highlighted one of the grand purposes of why we need scripture so much. These are our distant relatives, our forefathers, so to speak, sure. in some ways. And God showed up for them. I love how you put that. I want to ask you this question. You highlighted how God took these difficult tasks, Joseph in Egypt, for example, we'll just stick with that. And then something so good came out of it. Let's jump back into your life, what you went through in college, that period. When you were already under the furnace of medical school, <laughs> the fire was intense, right? And then all this family tragedy just keeps piling up. You're 10 years out. You've lived a radiant life. But can you look back now and mm -hmm. say, Yes. Is there any Red Sea that you could look back and say, I would have never crossed this Red Sea yes. had not yes. these tragedies come in my life? Nobody oh, wants gosh. tragedy. Nobody. No. But I feel like Jesus has this remarkable way to turn tragedy into something good down the road. If we go to the book of James... And we go to the very first, very first chapter, second verse. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Mm -hmm. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And when you're in a trial, you're like, that kind of verse is a borderline offense. Exactly. That's why I was hesitant to ask yes. this question. It has been 10 years, but man, that no. type of trial can stick with you for 10, 20, 30 years. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I mean, I, I just feel like God has been so merciful in my life and so kind through some of the most difficult things I've ever walked through. I think he... We see in Isaiah the phrase that he can turn ashes into, he can make beauty from the ashes. Yeah. And I feel that so deeply in my own life. The family tragedy that I've gone through, it is ashes. It's just like it feels torched. Um, but there is so much beauty in it because I think through it, 
I think God sometimes in his mercy, he can use the brokenness that we experience the sight of heaven and he can use it for his glory. Some of the most broken parts of my life have given God the most glory. And when I say that, it's losing my parents in the way I did. God, I would give anything to still have them, right? I think anybody who's lost a parent before they're well into old age and everything, I'd give anything. I would never wish that. But through it, I have seen that my ultimate need is for my perfect father in heaven. And I don't think I would have been catapulted into recognizing my desperate need for him had some of those things not happened, you know? And so I think God can redirect that. And I have spoken briefly, but there, my husband and I, early on in our marriage, we made mistakes, mistakes that sometimes end a marriage. And in God's goodness and, and in his way, he allowed us to go from looking at our marriage as simply this vehicle for personal happiness and joy. And I love you and you love me. And the purpose of us being together is to make each other happy. And anybody who's been married for, let's say, more than six months, maybe, I don't know, you very quickly realize your spouse is not always going to make you happy. And in fact, your spouse may make you very unhappy at times. And so so what's the point of marriage? I think we just thought, well, you get married and you have a family. And I mean, we I'm sure we knew more than that. But when we went through some very significant brokenness and moral failures in our marriage, we ended up reading this incredible book. And it really just talked about how the purpose of marriage and in the Bible, we're told that the church is his bride, right? Um, it's the bride of Christ. And he never leaves his church. He unconditionally loves his church. And so, again, it's like, I feel like marriage is this reflection and this earthly expression of God's love for his church. And he allows us to participate in it. And so in our marriage, the way we love each other, the way we forgive each other, the way we honor each other is to love each other like Christ loves his church, is to be full of grace and full of forgiveness. And at the end of this life, I pray that when we stand before him, that we have helped grow one another in Christ's likeness. Because it's like when you mess up, in marriage or you're maybe you're just not being thoughtful of the other person you're you get selfish and it's to say hey i i i'm really withholding a lot of myself i'm not thinking of you first i'm not and when they show you grace and forgiveness my husband and i when we start to go through little seasons he'll say to me let's just outdo one another in kindness okay if we can just outdo one another in grace and kindness then we'll get back on track and so it's like, I don't know, I think of those really difficult storms that we weathered in our marriage. I think God grew us in maturity and he made us see that our marriage is about so much more than just each other. It's about the way we treat each other, the way we honor each other. I mean, it's a it's in a way 
it tells other people outside of us so much about the truth of the gospel and the truth of Jesus and the way that we love each other and honor each other and forgive. And it's just, I, yeah, I feel like I know there are so many more storms if I am granted more days on this beautiful earth, hopefully. And I just, I try to just really remember. And again, I keep saying, look backwards. I just need to look backwards of how faithful he's been to me, what he's brought me through. And maybe you can't see that in your own life. And if you can't see that in your own life, go to the word of God and read the stories of so many other people. I don't know if you've ever heard this analogy, but if you look at like a beautiful tapestry, on one side of it, it's gorgeous. It's beautiful and ornate and it's huge. And you think, wow. And if you were to flip that over, you'd see all the thread everywhere. And that's a little bit like our stories, I think. Stories as believers is it feels messy and it feels hard and it feels like you get knocked down, but God is weaving something and making something so beautiful. And I just think that's incredible. And I'm excited about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is thrilling because maybe we're looking at the rough side. It's going to be a yeah. few years or decades before we flip that over. I want to go to this song you shared with me today, Beloved by Emily Shackleton. Let me read a few lyrics and I'll post the link so you can watch this song on YouTube. And it goes like this. I've condemned myself a thousand times. I've been convinced that I'd never get it right. Prodigal daughter, I ran from the father, desperate to numb out the pain. I had so much hide, scared of the light. Jesus, you met me there anyway, and you call me beloved. Yeah, you call me child, and you fill all my broken with your grace run wild. Hold me once again. Tell me I am yours. Help me trust that I am who you say I am, Lord. And you call me beloved. Whew. What beautiful oh. lyrics. What's it's speaking so to you? so beautiful. I think it's all about our identity. I think it is so easy, right? When you think of the word worthy, mm-hmm. if you had to write down on a piece of paper what makes you worthy, I think the majority of us would start with our acclimates, what we've done, you can name anything. This is how much money I make. Or I was born into this family. Or I was, I mean, so many things. And But the truth of the matter is that all of that can come and go in a second, right? You can lose your job. You can lose your family. You can lose your health. You can lose all of it. None of it stands. But the one thing that does withstand the storms, as we've been talking about, is our identity in Christ. And that's that he calls us his children. Um, He calls us beloved. We are fully known and fully loved by him. And that is where our worth lies. Our worth lies in the fact that I tell my children all this all the time is that Jesus came and he lived a perfect life. And he lived in perfect obedience to the Father and bent to his will. And he was he did that in our place. And then he took our shame and he took our brokenness on the cross. When he cried out to God, um, he was, he experienced the wrath all of our sin deserves. And, and then he rose again and he defeated death. And because of that, 
right? Our worth lies in and of him and what he's done for us on our behalf. And so I tell them, God loves you enough not to leave you where you're at. He is going to grow you. He is going to grow you and mature you and edify you throughout your life. And it's a beautiful thing to watch. It's excruciating sometimes, but it's beautiful. But when you question your worthiness and you feel like you're not enough, well, you know what? You weren't enough. That's why you needed a savior. And But I love this song because it's like, how often do we hate ourselves for things that we do or things that we think or failures that we've had, mistakes that we've made? We talk to ourselves unkindly. We quote unquote can't forgive ourselves. But yet we have a father in heaven who says that he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf and to take the punishment and to take the wrath of God. And so our debt has been paid in full by him. And there is reassurance in that. There's identity in that. And so that when when we fall, we can get back up. When the fires of life threaten to destroy us, we will not be taken down. When the storms try to blow us, we have a firm foundation to stand on because we know where our identity lies. And I think that the truth of the gospel is that you can have both confidence and humility in where you stand before our Father. I lean on that a lot when I question myself or I try to condemn myself. And you can rest in his perfection and his completeness. And I think that's a really safe place to be. That's so beautiful. Thank you so much, Stevie. This has been amazing. I just end with this line from the chorus from this song. It says, You comfort me like a mother, friend to me like a brother, every prodigal welcomed home by the Father. And I think Mm -hmm. that's a perfect wrap on everything that you've shared today, Stevie. What a tremendous witness that you've shared with us and a tremendous light. And I just want to thank you so much. No, thank you for wanting to talk to me. I mean, I, anyhow, I feel very honored. So thank you everybody for joining us this week. Please leave a review. If you've liked this show today, please share with a friend, please follow it and look for new episodes each Sunday on Spotify and Apple podcasts. You can also watch this episode on YouTube. And a quick shout out to Gabriel Heaton, who provided the artwork for this podcast. You can find him on Etsy. Find a link in the show notes for more of his amazing artwork. If you want to share your walk with Jesus, message me at thisisjesusinmylife at gmail.com. I would love to hear your stories and possibly have you on my show. Until next week, everybody, enjoy your walk with the Savior. Have a great day, everybody.